Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. going on, everybody, for CryptoCurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching The Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest in the world of Web3. We here at CryptoCurrent are your connection to what is going on in that world. As always, on our Wednesday show, I am here with Richard Carthon. Richard, how are we doing? You know, doing better. Uh, we saw a quick correction in the uh, market Um with a lot of things that could have led to it. Uh, but right now we're kind of just in no man's land as far as sideways momentum goes in a lot of different technical analysis. Uh, but on the upside, I mean, there's been some pretty cool uh, news that's dropped and a, a big NFT one that we're going to get into later that I'll go ahead and give you credit for that you called. And I'm not going to steal your thunder, but you called it. And everyone listening, Steve called it. And I have to give him his props in front of the world. So otherwise, I'm good, Steve. How are you doing? Look, man, I'm doing okay. Um, it's one thing to be able to call it right. It's another thing to be able to get into it. Um, <laughs> I am, of course, talking about Moonbirds, um, which was a massive NFT drop. It dropped over the weekend on Saturday. We're, we're going to unpack that one a little bit later. Um, but let's just say that I am no more wealthy today than I am on Saturday of last week. So... <laughs> What is this show that you're listening to? It's not just two guys talk about um, how they didn't make any money since Saturday. No, this is the aftershock. This is where we bring you up to speed on what is going on in crypto and Web3 related news. And at the very beginning of these shows, we typically ask you to do a couple of things for us. We ask you to make sure that if you are tuning in to us on YouTube, that you are subscribing, liking, commenting, doing all those things that can help us make sure this reaches the right audience. But also, if you're listening over on your preferred podcast platform, that you are making sure you are following the show and writing a review for us over there, which we will definitely be appreciative of. So to start out the top of this show, Richard, I want to ask you if you've heard anything about the recent legislative updates around the world. Um, there were two that, I guess, caught my attention. I'm just curious if you've heard much about um, what's going on in Russia and Portugal. Um, I have not. So let's unpack that. So in Russia today, they apparently are trying to move forward with making crypto fully legal in the country. Um, I think yeah. that is an interesting move. It's not a surprising move, but it's an interesting one. And then Portugal today uh, backed up a bank for the first time in terms of custodying crypto assets. So it looks like there are some positive moves being handled on the legislative spectrum. But let's jump into the rest of the lightning round and we can unpack it from there, shall we? This is Buy, Seller, HODL, where we break down 
the stories in a lightning round fashion. Buy, sell, or hodl. So as you've probably come to understand and know of our Web3 lightning round, we break this down in two different segments. We go through what is the more broad crypto news, and then we get into the metaverse, what happened in the metaverse last week. So to start out this week's lightning round, Richard, why don't you talk about this first story? So 30% of Indian crypto um, taxes uh, got hit, and you saw centralized exchanges uh, volume fall by 70% in, in Indian countries. So what happened in India that, that we covered uh, over the last couple of weeks is that they recently in- introduced this uh, crypto tax that basically says, we are going to tax you on 30% of all crypto, period. Now that's 30% of whether you made money or lost money, you're getting taxed 30%. So as soon as that went into effect, you saw volume across all of these centralized exchanges uh, for crypto in Indian countries fall by 70%. So uh, direct impact, people are like, mm, I am not trying to just lose 30% of my money. Yep. And it's pretty wild how that happened um, almost overnight. Um, we saw the crypto tax go into effect and quite literally every single Indian exchange dropped like a rock. So unfortunate to see there, but I imagine a lot of the crypto investors there have also understood that there are plenty of other nations around the world where they can bring their investments to. In our next piece of Web3 lightning round news, we have BlackRock, you know, this massive investing entity. Well, they just actually closed a $400 million fundraising round for Circle, which is, of course, the parent to USDC. And as a term in that round, BlackRock has now become USDC's primary cash reserve manager. This means that essentially they're facilitating the entire treasury for USDC now. Um, Pretty interesting development, at least in my opinion. Let's jump into the next one. Richard, you're happy about this one. Oh, and not that I'm happy, just called it. Ethereum merge was pushed back to Q3. So uh, ETH 2.0, the great shift from proof of work to proof of stake uh, was just supposed to be 2.0. All things were looking good and that they were going to launch by June. They're like, just kidding. Actually, we're going to push it back to Q3. I think it's going to keep getting pushed. And this is the age-old challenge of Ethereum is because we go through the same news cycle of the same thing every single year about the same thing about ETH 2.0 launch. And like, it's just, it's, it's beyond silly at this point. Like... ETH needs to get it together and actually like stop putting out dates and just launch it one day, right? Just just sneak it on in there one day, right? I think by setting these expectations of, oh, it's going to be done by June. Oh, it's going to be done by October. If they just suddenly fixed it, everyone would be happy. But I think with just keep setting these dates and missing it, you're just getting more and more people just not happy. Yeah, look, it's one of those things where like you have to have hope if you're me and you've made a call um, at the very beginning of the year, a prediction, if you will. And um, if you're you, you're really happy because you called it um, to a T. So you can have this win. I'll have the win of, um, you know, the Ripple case being the thing that shoots us back up. So (laughs) what I find interesting about it, just real quick, is the fact that everybody's still really hung up on how the current Ethereum blockchain is super inefficient and environmentally non-sustainable. There are a lot of companies out there that are starting to step forward to help offset the environmental impact and tracking what the actual carbon footprint is of certain projects, whether they're like developing an NFT, for example, or if they are operating a DAP, 
on the Ethereum blockchain and like looking at, okay, what can these companies do if they choose to partner with um, one of the measuring companies to offset that carbon footprint? So I want to give a quick shout out to this company called Ariel. Um, you can find them on Twitter at with W-I-T-H A-E-R-I-A-L. What they're basically doing right now is actually really novel. They're tracking all of the on-chain movement of certain projects and allowing those projects to come to them to essentially measure and get the right number uh, for what they could donate back to the ecosystem or to the environment in order to offset what they have done uh, damage-wise. So I find it pretty interesting, but let's move on in the lightning round. This one is a dinger. So there was a massive token purchase um, that happened across the last week. $400,000 went into this purchase. And it was purchasing coins off of a short list that Coinbase was putting out. Problem is, is that this purchase was made before the shortlist was made public. Richard, in no uncertain terms, what is that called? Insider trading. It is very, very much so insider trading. So um, we may see something come of this because, of course, Coinbase is a um, company that is registered with the United States SEC. But time will tell. And um, I certainly hope that it won't damage anybody else's funds that are being held there. But Richard, talk to, me about, talk to me a little bit about um, another one of the projects that we're fond of here, Cosmos. So Cosmos' is, uh, Cosmos's Theta Upgrade is launched on interchain accounts and it drastically boosted interoperability. So one of the core levels that Cosmos is all about is it's an ecosystem and it is, uh, I guess what you call a layer zero, right? So it's going after interoperability. It's trying to establish ways that you can move cross chains and everything works in place nice. So they recently launched an upgrade uh, that's going to help it on that journey, which I think is big news uh, for the for this ecosystem. And I think as more other ecosystems try to play nicely with the uh, Cosmos, that you'll start to see the likelihood of opportunity in the Cosmos ecosystem. And I'm talking to price value. Uh, potentially could start seeing an increase. Again, not financial advice. And this is purely my opinion on what I am seeing. Um, so uh, again, not financial advice, but I think this is huge news. I completely agree. And just for our audience's entertainment, do you want to battle it out real quick on which um, project you think is going to win the interoperability world? world? Wow. The interoperability war. You know, words it's are hard sometimes. Uh, if I had to guess, I, you know... I'm sorry, dude. I'm just, I'm really bullish on Cosmos. I really think they're going to get it figured out. Yeah, it's funny that you um, say that because you're apologizing to me for nothing. <laughs> I 100% think the Cosmos is going to win this out. And it's just because Polkadot is moving too damn slow. Um, Cosmos has an absolute first mover advantage, in my opinion, at this stage of the game. But hey, um, you know, when at, le at least they have a Canary network in Kusama, right? Right. You know, they'll get there. Yeah. Would you rather be a leader or have a little birdie? That's just my thing. <laughs> um, all right. So let's move into the next piece. This one is a really fun one. Blockchain.com has officially teamed up with the Dallas Cowboys for what is now officially on the books as the first NFL crypto partnership. Um, I have to imagine this is going to be the first of many. Are, are you feeling that way? 100%. This is going to open the floodgates. The money that is poured in from these crypto companies, I mean, crypto.com buying an arena, uh, FTX, etc. You're you best believe they're about to start 
pouring into this. So they're going to get left behind. I bet Toro buys it, like tries to do something like this soon. Oh yeah, no, I, I would be shocked if Etoro is not the next one to make a move. But um, there are about 15 different organizations that can make a move. You've got Crypto.com, you've got FTX, you've got Coinbase, and you know this little company that what they call themselves Meta now. I don't know Meta, Gemini, Kraken. We'll just have to see what happens. But our last story in Web3 Lightning Round this week has to do with opera. And no, we're not talking about where you go to listen to you know musical acts and singers of all sorts of um, vibratos. We are talking about the browser. And what is actually starting to become, it seems like, the official crypto browser. So Opera has now actually integrated with nine different blockchain ecosystems. That makes it the most diversified browser that integrates in Web3 so far. But beyond that, they also announced in this larger um, deployment that they will be making their browser with a native built-in crypto wallet going forward. So to be the first native browser in Web3 is a big statement. And I think that this is obviously going directly at the throat of Brave and the folks behind Basic Attention Token. But for my money, I think I'm probably going to still end up on the Opera Network versus Brave. Do you, do you feel a similar way? Yeah, what I've always found interesting about Opera is that it, it had a baked-in VPN. I always thought that was really cool and that they, they really take privacy seriously and they want to do as much as they can to stay connected to as much decentralization as possible, um, which is an interesting attempt you know, as you're connecting a decentralized world, doing it. And they came, I believe they came after Brave. And so Brave had a first mover advantage. They had a lot of support. Um, I think Chrome was one of the first ones to like play nicely with them and do some other stuff. Um, once they like had different elements of what they were building available to the public. But Opera Man, they just keep, they just coming back for more. And they're, they're really just going after it. So I think they are a front runner in this race. All right, well, let's jump into last week in the metaverse, shall we? So last week in the metaverse, there were a couple stories that caught our eye. And it was really hard for the first one not to be the leading story, right? And that's that Coinbase is officially moving forward with creating an animation series featuring Board Ape Yacht Club and the ApeCoin communities that they're referring to right now as the DGEN trilogy. They're saying that these will start around NFT NYC. And we're just going to have to see for ourselves, right, Rich? Because we just booked our travel there. That's right. We'll be out there. Looking forward to it. If anyone's going out there listening to this, holla at your boys. Yep. We will be out there from June 20th to June 23rd. Please let us know if you'll be in downtown Manhattan. We can uh, link up for drinks just to shoot the shit over NFTs. Yeah. So our next story... um, This is a very small one. We're going to hit it quick, but it's just the latest in the trademark filing um, extravaganza that we've seen in recent weeks. MasterCard has filed 15 metaverse and NFT trademarks. Everybody wants to try to protect themselves and cover their ass in the metaverse. This is just the latest example, right? 15 though. Like this just feels excessive. Like MasterCard has like literally their logo. I don't don't know. Maybe they have 15 versions of it. Like (laughs) it feels excessive. They have to they have to trademark the red circle and the yellow circle and the master word and the cart. Like it just goes on forever, dude. It's there's no end to it. They're just gonna try and protect everything they can. 
Fair enough. Well, next in the news, Meta will charge creators fees up to 47.5% to sell virtual goods in its Horizon Metaverse. So I'm going to say that one more time. Meta's going to charge creators fees up to 47.5%. Let's just go ahead and round that up to 50. So whatever money you make. Sorry. What are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Do better, Meta. Are you kidding me? You're just going to take half the people's money who come on there and create Man, like, God, this is going against what Web3 is all about, right? Of of Web 2.0, you create the system and you are the products. So therefore, the company who isn't selling you anything, you're the product. So they're using you and making all the money off of you. Three Web 3.0, the metaverse, everything that's coming from this, you are take part of that economy. You get to participate. You get to earn money. You get to do all this. But Meta's like, no, 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 no. F all that. We're going to take half of everything you earn. Like, come on, Meta. You're, you're already starting off wrong, man. Do Dude, better. It's so broken. It is so broken. It's basically them saying like, you remember the old jokes of like, in Soviet Russia, bear do not um, eat fish. Fish feed south to bear. Like that, it's that type of thing. We're absolutely reversing logic and trying to make this okay in the popular eye. This is not okay in anyone's eye. You could literally have a glass eye and this wouldn't work. No. And it's just ridiculous. Anyway, Meta, good luck with Horizons Metaverse. That'll be interesting to see. This is not the la- the first time I've gotten opinionated on the podcast. That's for damn sure. And it certainly <laughs> won't be the last. <laughs> so let's talk about my favorite hedgehog, Sonic, and his company, Sega. I'm assuming Sonic owns Sega at this point. I don't know how how gaming works. Sega is apparently laying the groundwork for its own metaverse with a super game NFT plan. I was reading up on this a little bit over the weekend, Richard, and it seems like they're trying to lump together every single popular IP that they had on the Dreamcast and kind of create their metaverse around all the IP and let that be the draw. What? Bro, so you telling me you can go in there, play as Sonic the Hedgehog, or go in and be a part of Soul Calibur, or sorry, let me not nerd out on all this, but all the same, this is dope, and I hope they get this figured out because you know what's next? Mortal Kombat. No, bro, animation. Like all all of these animated, we're talking Pokemon, we're talking Dragon Ball Z, we're talking freaking uh Naruto, you get like, but you're you're telling me you can go into these. Sorry, please go figure this out, Sega, and create this and set the set the blueprint, because then we can start going to these virtual worlds and just start going ham. The way that I see it is, we're still very much so like beyond early. We're way even before the fact of seeing the tip of the iceberg. We're at the point where companies are making announcements of announcements. Right. This is this is where we are in the grand development scope of the metaverse. I promise you, you're gonna hear about a couple more over the course of the next year. And then there's gonna be one or two that are gonna be like, we've been developing this insane idea and it's ready and it's releasing today. And it's gonna be like this massive thing where like everybody's gonna have this epiphany, like, holy shit, they can develop something and deliver it the same day that they're announcing it. It's going to seem like it's revolutionary, but I think that's probably what we're going to end up seeing out of Nintendo. Um, that's just, if you think about it, after everything fell apart with the Wii and all of the IP back during that massive gaming fiasco, yep. 
they kind of started to turn towards that as a deployment plan. They're only going to ever tell you about something when it's ready to be delivered. So I personally think that's where we're headed. I really hope that we see that in the next six months. Personally, I would love to get some more metaverse activity, but we'll be talking a lot more about metaverse in the aftershock. So let's just push this one down the road. Oh, great. We're pushing right into my favorite part of the show where we talk about the money I didn't make. (laughs) So Richard, why don't you um, give us the quick down low on this before I lose my mind? So Moonbirds launched on uh, this past Saturday. So to get into Moonbirds, the mint price was 2.5 ETH. They had 10,000 total. So not only did they sell out and make, you know, $70 million, just like, you know, blink of an eye. They went on... 75 million. They they went on to, over the course of the last three days, have the most volume on OpenSea and pretty much any other NFT platform out there by a landslide, like not even close. Like the floor right now, I think is like 20 point something ETH. Um, so almost a uh, 10X within three days of, of whatever your investment was. If you're able to get more than one, you know, bless you. But Steve, uh, and, and of course, there's uh, also uh, Murakami uh, Flowers, which I'll let you talk to, but there's been a ton of trade volume over these two projects. Yeah, I think silly is the word that comes to mind. So. As you said, you had Moonbirds drop on Saturday morning, 2.5 ETH buy-in. They did a raffle of like 50,000 wallets. Um, There were some people that gamed that system. Good for you. You got eight Moonbirds for, what is that, 20 ETH? Mm. And they're now worth an ungodly amount of money. So let's just look at the last 24 hours. So just for everybody's perspective, this could be a little bit different by the time the episode releases. But across the last 24 hours, Moonbirds has done 12,176.97 ETH in volume on OpenSea. This is just on OpenSea. But if you move that to the last seven days, which would mean the last three days, Moonbirds has done 71,404 ETH worth of volume. Like, let that That's sink stupid. in for a second. That's stupid. What's, and then the second one is done, what, like 16 like, or 17? So, so real quick, I did the math on this when it was at 34. So like, we're right now sitting at double what that was when I did that math. We're talking about $270 million USD in volume in three days. Yeah, they've made a ton of money. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely broken. And But yeah, as of right now, because this morning, the um, allow list opened up for Murakami Flowers. The volume on Murakami Flowers right now is sitting at 12,280 ETH over the course of the last seven days. Interesting, at least in my opinion, is the fact that you are looking at two projects that pretty much are going to be kicking off a new bull run. Right? You don't see this type of volume and all of a sudden it just drops back to quiet. That's not how it works. When the money starts mean, flowing, the momentum carries. Right. And for the bull run, you mean within the NFT space? Correct. Yeah, that is absolutely what I mean. I mean, specifically within the NFT space. There was one other stat that I wanted to pull up that really broke my brain. And I, I want to make sure that I say it properly because there's a whole lot of data out there on this right now. 
And like, you can look at Mutant Ape Yacht Club as the prime example, right? Of a project that on its rollout, it had some just insane volume behind it. Just a ton of ETH traded. But what people don't oftentimes think about, I guess, is the volume that a collection does lifetime, right? In its entire life since the day that it drops. So I just want to give a little bit of perspective to this one because I find this laughable. Across the project's lifetime, as OpenSea's tracked it, CryptoPunks has done 889,000 ETH in volume. Okay? That's no like little you know, sum, but again, how long has CryptoPunks been on the market? And, and how long has OpenSea been tracking it? Right? Yep. The next closest behind that is Bored Ape. 494,188 ETH in volume, lifetime. You go down the list a little bit, you pass things like Azuki, Decentraland, all of Art Blocks curated. You pass by the Sandbox, you pass by Doodles, you pass by MeBits. The number 15th ranked collection right now on OpenSea in terms of lifetime ETH volume is Moonbirds. 15th. It's been three, three days. days, Richard. Three days. Like, St- stupid dude. It, it's, I'm so convinced. And like, look, I love this collection. I think everything about Proof is really, really novel. It's great. I think that Kevin Rose is a genius. Ryan Carson is a great COO. He should really come on our show. <laughs> yes, that's a slight pander. But there is something going on behind the scenes here. Okay, like I'm, I've listened to three or four people talk about it. There's a little bit of sketchiness going on on chain. But if this keeps up, we're talking about breaking through 100,000 in ETH by the end of its first week. After, nuts. after a total lull, okay, there's been no movement in the market. It's been super, super quiet. Now, all of a sudden, you have this project come in and you have Murakami Flowers come in. Granted, everyone and their cousin knows that Murakami Flowers allow list sign up got botted. So you had 5 million bots or 5 million entries into that allow list raffle. So they had to figure out how to get out all of the bots. Moonbirds, they say, was a little bit more fair. I say a little bit more fair because it was just a little bit more fair. But the barrier to entry there is still suspect. So I'm curious to see how this affects the rest of the market. But from what I've experienced in my time in the NFT space so far, when this type of volume comes in, it doesn't stop. I think this is probably going to kickstart the next run. So I've got my fingers crossed. I would love to see that happen personally. Next uh, two of us. Uh, hope to see it. Um, in next news we're talking about after Steve is done fanboying over Moonbirds, understandably, um, we have the U.S. Treasury Department links the massive Axie Infinity hack to North Korean hacker group. So each of these hacker groups that are starting to come out, you're starting to see, like, it's, it's interesting. You're not really starting to see it as just one person. You're seeing it as a group that is going after a massive project such as Axie Infinity. 
it makes more sense that this was done over the course of days and no one could find it because you had a group of people who basically were able to keep everything moving under the radar and and be able to kind of get as much as possible while again being on the radar for multiple days not just hours like days which is insane so when you look at North Korean hacker group and the fact that the US Treasury Department can even link that shows gives me some very good like reassurance that our cybersecurity defense is in a pretty good spot that we can like identify and even figure that much out um but all the same be safe out there. These smart contracts aren't as smart as you'd like them to be um, and can sometimes keep you susceptible to getting hacked. Absolutely. So look, this is going to be our final story for this week's Last Week in the Metaverse segment. And clearly, this is something that I wanted to talk about. Kylie Jenner's fashion brand is evaluating a possible entry into the Metaverse. I didn't want to talk about this. I'm Richard pretty, did. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Richard didn't want to talk about this. But Richard's new wife, Carly, got a newsletter from Kylie Jenner. And in that newsletter was a survey. And in that survey is where she started talking about this. The reason that I'm forcing this on to our discussion this week and last week in the metaverse is really simple. Kylie Jenner operates one of the biggest brands in the world. And frankly, it could end up being the biggest gateway for women to enter the metaverse. Okay, we constantly are talking about in this space, this disparity in terms of the number of men there are to the number of women to the number of non-binary individuals. It's very much so right now skewed towards men. But this could actually be a massive gateway for women to enter into the metaverse. And I think it could be a really positive thing. Um, and it will almost certainly make her a lot more money than she already has, even though it's close to that infinite number. Yes. So before we tie this one off, is there anything else that you want to discuss on the metaverse this week? Or do you just want to jump into our Aftershock segment? Let's get after it. Let's jump into this Aftershock. All right. Well, there's one narrative that's been talked about most in the metaverse this past week besides Moonbirds. And that is what we talk about in the Aftershock. So this, of course, is that segment. The Aftershock. So the Aftershock this week is beckoning the question to be open or to not be open. That is the metaverse. Are we going to keep our metaverses open or are we going to silo them? Now, what the hell does that even mean, right? Well, we have to answer that question first to queue up the rest of this discussion. First off, what is a siloed metaverse? Richard, can you break this down for me? So a siloed metaverse is a... I wouldn't even call it an ecosystem. Well, I guess you call it ecosystem. Basically, you enter into a virtual world and you can't go anywhere else. This, these are the constraints that you play in. So a couple examples out there like the Central Land Sandbox, NFT Worlds, and Meta's Horizon Worlds. So you put on or, or go into your computer or whatever way that you have to enter into this metaverse because a lot of them use a virtual reality. Um, and you basically enter into their world and everything and all transactions happen within their ecosystem. So for example, Decentraland, if you want to make transactions, you use mana, which is the native currency within Decentraland. Also, whatever you build in Decentraland and um, all of that stays there. Yes, you, I believe you can bring outside 
NFTs in, but uh, I think that's about it. You can like showcase them. You can't necessarily um, take your property to have all the NFTs and stuff that you have there and then be able to leave and bring it somewhere else. Um, open metaverses, the opposite. You can go in, you can basically do whatever you want there and then be able to translate it into other metaverses. So like it kind of keeps expanding. So there's two examples on here are Wilder World and OM by Punk6529, which I want Steve to break down a lot more because he put this on my horizon and it's really cool. So before we get into what OM is doing and what's and what 6529 is envisioning for OM, it's important to understand that there's this idea of interoperability that we talk about all the time and crossover, right? So when we're talking about this idea, we're trying to say that if you own NFTs and you want them to be interoperable, you should be able to walk them between different metaverses and utilize them uniquely in each. In a siloed metaverse, that's not the case, okay? In Decentraland, they have specific NFTs that you can use in Decentraland. In the sandbox, they have specific NFTs you can use in the sandbox. In NFT worlds, they build out an entire landscape that you can purchase and you can play games on that you know, landscape using that IP. Meta is going to steal all your money. <laughs> 47% of it. God, they're so broken. Um, <laughs> the bigger point is that with a siloed metaverse, there's no carryover. There's no walking through a portal and all of a sudden all of your stuff translates. Now, in a place like Decentraland, you can create a space and display those other NFTs, but that still is a siloed metaverse. An open metaverse is really that you can pull any of these assets over and use them wherever you want and truly be interoperable or multi-chain or inter-metaverse. Wilder World, I believe, is trying to accomplish this. Okay, that's why they're rolling out slow. That's why they're really focusing on the quality of the assets. It's an interesting project. But the reason we're really talking about this this week is because Punk6529 has been on an absolute tear lately about how we need to be seizing the memes of production and not letting corporations essentially purchase out all of the IP and NFTs and take it for ourselves and build out these worlds in a way that we want to use them. Open, not constrained, not siloed. So OM, short for Open Metaverse, is a project that 6529 debuted over the last week. Here's a quick look at it. You have the logo on the left if you're joining us on YouTube and you have the quick view of it on the right um, on YouTube. You can see it's a massive world. It looks very fresh and sharp and the architecture looks really nice. The first test environment that they've rolled out is their museum district 46529. So you see how he has different buildings, one that's dedicated to his Fidenzas. There's another one that is dedicated to, um, I forgot what that logo is, son of a gun. Anyway, there's a bunch of different properties in here and he's really tried to make these unique buildings that totally stand apart from any other metaverse. And allow you to traverse it and interact with things in a more human way. And note that all of these properties that he's brought in here, they're not from just one collection. 
They're from all sorts of collections. So Fidenz is from Art Blocks. You have his own collection that I believe he's minting through Manifest. Uh, no, or Manifold, excuse me. But the bigger story here is that you have another platform that's now entering the game to facilitate this. On Cyber. On Cyber is known for being a NFT art gallery of sorts where you can create your own gallery and curate the artworks that go into it. This is On Cyber's first step into producing an open metaverse concept where you can essentially use all sorts of properties in one space. And there's crossover. So right now, you can actually go up to 6529's Twitter and there's a link where you can start a registration process to get your own land in this open metaverse. And I think they're trying to treat it like buildings are the land. So it's an interesting process. It's, in my opinion, going to be one of the biggest moves in crypto because everybody wants to play together using whatever it is that they have, not just be constrained to one environment that may or may not have the entire user, user base. So give me your take, at least right now, on what you think of what you see on screen. I mean, my first take of, of Open Metaverse is, and, and even looking at the videos that were provided on the, the Twitter thread that uh, they provided, it looks very robust. I think the concept is they want to be able to create a, a multiverse where there's 100 million people and there's like 10 different places that have like 10 million people at, a, at, a, at one given point. You can go between districts. It's, it's, it's really, really robust and it allows for a lot more flexibility in how people have experiences. I think that this is going to be the open metaverse, I think is the ultimate play. It's going to take more time, resources, and probably people coming to help develop and, and make cool things within it. I think the siloed metaverses that are out there are unfortunately going to be able to move faster um, by being able to have a very streamlined, focused, and like clear vision of what they want their world to look like, having like finite things like how many land plots or, or different areas that you can do X, Y, Z, etc. It allows for people to work within the concept, constructs of that faster. But again, it limits you from being able to do all the things that you potentially would want to. So again, overall, I think what open metaverse is doing is really cool and it's the future and it's where the metaverse needs to head. I just think that it's going to take a lot more time for that vision to be fully capitalized. So I was alluding to this a little bit earlier of like how there's going to be these new metaverse concepts. Like I was, I was specifically relating it to Nintendo where you have players that will just come out of nowhere and just drop an absolute bomb on your head. This is one of those instances. Okay, 6529 has been no stranger to talking from a very innovative perspective and bring out new concepts and pushing the space forward. This is one that is already ready to be deployed. This is going to, I believe, be the first true open metaverse platform that we see brought to market. Personally, I would trust only 6529 to drop something like this and do it from the perspective of actually keeping it open 
as opposed to releasing it from a perspective of corporate greed, uh, meta. The bigger point I think that we need to be addressing is that you need to be looking, if you are curious what the next play is going to be, at what projects already have the infrastructure to roll it out. Because there's a reason that 6529 partnered with OnCyber. Okay? Their galleries are some of the best that I've ever taken um, time to actually tour in augmented reality and in VR. But there's only one way that you can start getting exposure to that sort of thing. And that's by taking the time to actually go and tour them, right? Yep. You will never know unless you actually take the time to experience it for yourself. So my piece of advice to our listeners today before we go is to make sure that you're taking the time to actually experience the metaverse. Go into Decentraland. You can do it. It's totally free. Yep. You can experience just how terrible it is to work in that world. Yes. Feel free to headbutt your microphone, Richard, because <laughs> I'm telling you right now, man, I've been through Decentraland three or four times. I've gone to Decentraland parties. The experience is terribly unrealistic. <laughs> I mean, like you jump and you're floating through the air for like a day and a half. Okay. <laughs> you go into certain structures and it feels like you're just essentially playing in a Nintendo 64 game. It's light years behind the times. Fine, go play in the sandbox. You know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be playing Minecraft just with more money. Right? The same thing can be said of NFT worlds. You can go play in Meta's new Horizon worlds. And yeah, you'll be a fool for doing it. But the point is, is that you'll also experience how playing chess in the metaverse is something we've been doing since AOL was around. Okay? 3D chess? Are you freaking kidding me? It's been around forever. We don't need that. We need an actual metaverse experience, one that is way more Ready Player One than just like Minecraft, right? Like we need something that is attractive, something that people will find sticky that they want to go back to and play more of or experience more. Right. Well, to speak to that just for a second, man, like these things take time to build, to have something and, and to make it within virtual reality. So a lot of a lot of these engines, like for example, what you're seeing on like PlayStation 4 and 5, you, in, in some of these PC games you use what's called like Unreal Engine 5 and some of these other things. Now, to be able to bring that kind of skill to virtual reality, one in itself is a very huge, tall task to do. The other is for these developers who are developing on the game, they have they can only develop for so long or they start to get sick uh, like uh, you can only develop i believe one or two hours at a time you have to take a break or you will i forget what it's called but you you basically lose your center of gravity you don't like really you lose your perception yeah, it, of it, it throws off your equilibrium if yeah it throws off your equilibrium so when you have like that hurdle to to deal with and everything else again not to make excuses the reason that these things aren't as robust and amazing as you'd like them to be is cuz having to deal with some of those hurdles however they're starting to be overcome. Again, if you were on, you're watching this on YouTube and you see what Open Metaverse is doing, can't say that about that. It is very realistic looking. It looks really cool. It's very, it, it looks really, really cool. And what's exciting is to see that's the direction that we're headed, but the functionality and being able to 
have a ton of people simultaneously, then be able to be on the network and do it at the same time. These are tall tasks. And we are at the beginning of all of this. So now is a really good time to learn how to interact and deal with these different things because it really will help set you apart. So it's one thing to listen to us and be like, oh, this sounds really cool. It's another to go experience it. And that's why me and Steve are as excited as we are because we have spent the time in these different worlds and have seen just how cool this stuff is. It, it, all of it's not as awesome as it could be, but we're working to get there as an industry. It's, it's definitely headed there. Yeah. We're finally starting to see players come out. They're pushing it in the right direction. I would be very surprised, very surprised, if we don't see the next person that comes out of the woodwork saying, hey, I've been working on something in the metaverse. Fun fact, I was working with 6529. It's part of OM. It's going to be Cosmo de Medici. It, Cosmo. Like you're, you're out of your mind if you think that that type of caliber of individual is not working with 6529 on something like this. This takes an insane amount of resources to do as fast as he has and insane connections. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I hope that you at home are excited as well. If you found it informational, if you found this enlightening, if you thought that my rants were a little bit over the top and need to be toned back at least 60%, let us know in the comments. Maybe write a review. Tell us what you think of the show because we want you to come back next week and we want you to come back for our next set of interviews. This week, we had some great interviews um, that Richard put on for the show. We had Sandy Batank um, from 3Air talking about banking the next billion people. We also had Rob Frasca on Monday um, talking about the first tokenized evergreen fund on Cosmo X. And then, of course, upcoming on the show, we have Shuki Ma from overreality.io, what claims to be the first people-powered NFT community. Certainly hope that that's not like a Soylent Green sort of situation, but that's just uh, my personal worry. No, it's dope. It's cool. Go check that one out. Sweet. Well, Rich, any final words for the folks at home before we close this one off? As always, you know, crypto is volatile. Some people get freaked out when you see, you know, a week-to-week correction. Play the long game. Educate yourself on this space. Find out about these cool things early because you just never know how amazing some of these projects can ultimately turn out. Again, just to wrap up real quick to Decentraland, just for two seconds. And if you've been on the show, you've probably heard me say this before. I learned about Decentraland back in 2019. And I was like, oh, the premise of this is pretty cool. But I did nothing about it. And I didn't go into the world. And and I, I just watched based on what was being presented at a conference. I had an opportunity where I was I was I could have invested and and I my own decision I was like oh this looks cool like I want to see how I can invest and I didn't do it and 3 years later it at one point over 100x so it could it could literally could have changed my life had I just acted on the knowledge and the understanding that I got super early so the point is is that we are providing alpha for you here we are giving you really good insights into really cool opportunities that you need to go and research yourself, decide what makes sense for you, and act on it however you want to. We're not leading you one way or another, but I am going to encourage you to take action if something is clicking and making sense. And you're like, that makes sense to me. Do something about it. 100%. Again, that's what we're here at. That's what we're here for. That's what cryptocurrency is all about. We are your connection to Web3 and the thought leaders that are shaping the future of it. We hope that you enjoyed this show. We will see you next week. 
We hope that you got a Moonbird or a Murakami flower, but if you didn't, you're just like us looking for the next opportunity. Until next time, stay cryptocurrent. We'll see you next week.